0: You work hard to build your business. And as a smart and savvy entrepreneur, you understand the importance of protecting your business. This podcast is brought to you in part by True Shield Insurance Incorporated, underwritten by Northbridge General Insurance Company. True Shield Insurance was made for you. It takes a hands on approach and understands the startup community's culture and needs. Get coverage insurance for your startup starting at just $29 per month. Visit trueshieldinsurance.ca today and get the right insurance solution for your business needs.
1: Welcome to Startup Newsweek, your source for news affecting entrepreneurs in Canada. My name is Cyprian Shalankiewicz and today is June 7, 2016. Startup Canada, the Embassy of Israel in Canada, and UPS Canada have partnered to give women-led startups the opportunity to represent Canada amongst 30 other countries at the Start Tel Aviv competition. The Canadian winner will be flown to Tel Aviv this September to pitch as part of an immense five-day startup experience that includes meetings and workshops with companies, investing designers, artists, and scientists from Israel and abroad. Visit startupcan.ca today to apply. Today, cloud-based voice-over IP company Versature has secured $1.1 million in seed funding through RBC and BDC Capital. CEO Paul Edmond says Versature has experienced 55% year-over-year growth and will use this seed funding to drive rapid growth in the Canadian market. Toronto-based startup Nudge has raised $6.5 million in seed funding. Nudge plans to use the funding to improve its platform, which allows users to find and keep your best customers through a relationship strength. Last week, the Aboriginal Youth Entrepreneurship Program gathered Aboriginal youth from across Saskatchewan to learn about entrepreneurship and to pitch their startup ideas. The Saskatchewan coordinator for the program, Yves Bousquet, told The Globe and Mail, The Aboriginal population is underrepresented in the business world. There are great opportunities from them not only to create jobs for themselves, but to create jobs for others. And the federal minister responsible for Canadian Northern Economic Development Agency, Navdeep Bains, announced last week that the agency will invest $117,000 in Whitehorse's Uconstruct Makerspace. The fund will be used to support innovation and entrepreneurship throughout the territory. Uconstruct Makerspace is the first space of its kind north of 60. Startup Newsweek is brought to you in part by the Startup Canada Awards, recognizing excellence in Canadian entrepreneurship. Visit startupaward.ca for more information and to nominate a deserving startup organization or individual. Nominations close July 20th.
0: One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today.
1: Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season two of the Startup Canada podcast show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. Here on the show is where we fill you in on trends and opportunities and possibilities possibilities for your next step as an entrepreneur and where we have conversations about advancing entrepreneurial growth and success in Canada. Today's episode is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in building a financially fit and fundable business. Get 50% off, that's right, 50% off QuickBooks online today by visiting intuit.quickbooks.ca forward slash start right do any of our new listeners remember to subscribe to the startup canada podcast in the itunes store then visit startupcan.ca to join the network to connect to support Mentors, training, funding, space into your local startup community. Today, on the Startup Canada podcast, we are talking to Tanya Sermon, one of Canada's leading experts and champions of social entrepreneurship, and the co founder and CEO of the Center for Social Innovation, a social mission co working community located in the city of Toronto and New York, which is serving more than 700 organizations and we will be talking about the social entrepreneurship revolution that's happening such a cool topic shifting models of sustainability trends challenges and opportunities for social entrepreneurs in canada and what needs to be done to support and promote the success of canadian social entrepreneurs tanya welcome to the show today Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, look, let's dive right into uh, into the conversation. And you've been quoted as saying, "I have a deep." commitment to changing the world. Well, where does this passion for social innovation and collaboration come from? You know what, tell us the Tanya story. We're all listening. <laughs>
3: <Great>. <laughs> well, I've also been, uh, I've also been quoted as saying, if you're asking permission, then you aren't changing the world. So Love it. I, I think that my, um, you know, my drive and my passion really comes ironically through rage. Really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, what happens is when you actually start taking a look at the world around you and you feel this sense of being disempowered, that things are going on and that you have no control. And I, in my work, uh, working in not-for-profit organizations and social mission organizations, I was confronted over and over and over again with people reinventing the wheel and getting nowhere. And I found this to be infuriating just infuriating. And so well, my passion is really driven by rage, by frustration at watching people who are trying to do good, who have got the right values and they care so deeply, being confronted with obstacle. After obstacle trying to get their work to the next level. And so for my my piece has really been saying, okay, well, how do we start to get past reinventing the wheel? How do we start building collaboration across sectors? How do we take learning from different sectors and different environments and integrate it into our work and not be afraid of different ideas that might be able to unlock our potential to really have an impact in making the world a better place? So for my entire life, for whatever reason, my own personal story behind me is like this sense of like, you know what, if we're going to live this life, if I'm going to have all of this energy, which I seem to have way too much of, you know, that could be used for good or for evil. Right and and I think as a teenager I was confronted with this question: Will I be evil or will I be good? And and I could see the I could see the path of evil and boy did it look really really um, lucrative for me. But but you know ultimately I think this question of how can we be a part of the solution right. and so much of entrepreneurship is about that energy that initiative that discontent that drive and and very very early on I knew that if I applied that that use the power of that discontent and the power of my own creativity and the creativity of the incredible people I've had the privilege of working with, that we could start to redesign things. And, you know, I just didn't know that I couldn't. And so that's pretty much been my, my drive is, 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 um, uh, an unrelenting passion to, to try to do things Differently, just to shift the game.
2: And where did you find this? Is a very inner rage is what started this. Is so cool. And well, by the way, I, I presume uh, based on your life, you did choose the not the evil side. You chose the <laughs> you chose the good side.
3: <laughs> I absolutely. I I I feel like my I would have been a way richer woman had I chose the evil side. But no, I, I'm, I'm down and happy with the incredible work that we do on the good. Uh,
2: that's very cool. So you talked about this 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 point where people weren't able to get over the fence. And that's what really created this rage. What was, is there, was there a common theme to that point for people? What was causing them not to be able to move to that next point?
3: You know, it's, it's a really interesting question and, you know, we'll talk about this some more is this tension, you know, how we see money. Mm. and and you know one of the things is i think a lot of our society sees money as the obstacle or the or the barrier and in the not for profit sector where i've really come from the idea that we always have to go to somebody else for the money yeah you know mm-hmm. and and you know so we spend all of our energy actually looking for somebody else's money Mm
4: -hmm. instead
3: of actually creating business models and using the power of markets to make our own money. And, and, you know, for me, money is about energy. It's a way that we're able to exchange value with one another. And if we are able to understand our business models and really truly lean into our value as creators... Because again, we are the entrepreneurs, we are creating value Mm -hmm. that creates a virtuous cycle. Mm. And that is positively reinforcing. And so a little bit of money allows you to make a little bit more. And we know this, right? Mm-hmm. And this is this is energy. And so think about applying that to the caring world, the people who are trying to make the world better. So whether that's environmental sustainability or whether it's farming practices, whether it's social justice or education or 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 climate change, you know there are so many ways that we can shift the game from being, uh, so that the folks who are trying to do good are actually seen and recognized for the incredible value that they do bring. Yeah. And I think that that's a transformation in our thinking. And, and, and ultimately I think that that's, you know, part, part of what social innovation is attempting to do.
2: It's interesting. You talk about that, um, that, uh, that barrier as, as money. I've always said the problem with the non-profit sector is they call themselves nonprofit. if they get rid of that word non and really called it profit i mean ultimately it does take money to move things forward well at least in our society it does so to get rid of that word it would be so so advantageous because you hit it bang on we we are training people to be beggars, yeah. not innovators. And right. uh, yeah, it's so bang on. So, so, uh, all, well, I appreciate that insight because, uh, I, th- I think there's definitely uh, a need for that switch and it's great that you're leading that. So can you explain to me the difference between, from your perspective, social invention and social innovation?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe I'll even go one step up and say, you know, what is social innovation? What is social entrepreneurship? So there's a whole bunch of language that's emerging in this field. And so I'll just kind of, you know, uh, for your listeners, give a bit of an overview. So for, for, and this is my own personal perspective, but I see social innovation is a really big umbrella. That's where almost anything can happen. And it's about new and renewed ideas that are shifting the game. It could be shifting a product, a service, a system. It could be, uh, sometimes it's about incremental change. Sometimes it's about radical disruption, but in, in, you know, the end game here is that we are shifting a system. Social innovation is about shifting a system. And Mm -hmm. in my world, I really see that we can shift a system in one of three concrete ways. So the first kind of uh, system shaping that we can do is around behavior. So there's a whole world of folks who are doing work around shifting behaviors, which then are feeding into a, a better world. The second area is around policy. You know, how can we shift policy that will then spur shifts in other systems? And then the third is what I call market transformation. So that's where entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs are playing an increasing role. Now, a social entrepreneur, by my definition, would be anyone who is attempting to shift one of those systems. Uh A lot of times what we found is that social entrepreneurs are really leaning on the market tools in order to shift other systems. So, for example, organic food. Now, 30 years ago, that concept was crazy. It was absolutely unheard of. And the environmental sector raised issues around toxic exposure. And what happened was that entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs saw that as a market opportunity and they were went through tremendous work building new markets to educate on the bleeding edge to be able to shift the game <laughs> and now there's a huge market around organic food and products mm-hmm. we're seeing the same kind of transformation happen around renewable energy and the and the conversation goes on so, so sorry go ahead no so i'll just so what i'm just going to recap so social innovation is this big broad umbrella Mm-hmm. of different ideas. Social entrepreneurship is the spirit of entrepreneurship applied to solving the problems that we face in the world. And then when we look at this whole difference between social invention and social innovation, I think it's also really important. So, you know, when we went to go by one of our buildings at the Center for Social Innovation, uh, we created a new tool, which we call Community Bonds. And the community bond helped us to raise now $6.5 million to then be able to access and build real estate assets of about $25 million. Nice. So that was a social invention. Mm -hmm. It was an invention because we proved that we could do it once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the innovation will be possible, or we will see it as a social innovation. I hope when we see other organizations and people adopting and integrating that new tool into practice. Very cool. Yeah.
2: So, so you, I hope that helps. It does help. And it was, you know, it's cool is when I'm, when I'm listening to you, I know you have said this again and again And again, I'm not the first person that you have told the, you know, the difference between social innovation, the three areas and so on, but the conviction by what you tell it is exactly the same as I'm sure you told it the first time. So I can really feel that passion coming out of you. It's so cool.
3: Rivers, might I be an entrepreneur like every one of our (laughs) listeners who feels this incredible, (laughs) insane passion? I mean, I am not alone. I am with my people. You are with your
2: people. (laughs) And I want to ask you a question. I was going to save it till later on, but I need to ask it now because I don't want to forget it. And it has to do, you know, you talk about acceptance and barriers is, is there still in the entrepreneurial world, uh, that, Oh, you're a social entrepreneur. You're not one of us.
3: Mm. You know what? I've never experienced that. Fantastic. I, I, I my what's really fun for me is, you know, I come I think there's a lot of misinformation about what a nonprofit is, what a charity is and does. A lot of people think that we don't earn a salary and that we're all volunteers and they <laughs> they don't understand that actually the nonprofit sector represents about seven percent of our gross domestic product and employs over two million people in the country. Wow. So we are the largest single sector in the country. Mm -hmm. And yet we are not regarded and seen as a viable and important part of our economy. So that, that part of my role, uh, is, is very misunderstood by the traditional entrepreneurship community, but I will say that there is not an entrepreneur who I haven't met and loved for their passion and alignment around change.
2: Yeah. Very cool. So let's talk about some of these 700 organizations. Um, can you, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to say, well, maybe you do want to talk about that. You know, I really think this is freaking cool, but if there's <laughs> a sector that you say that is just lighting up the social entrepreneur innovation section or um, uh, an environment, can you talk about that? It's yeah, 700, yeah, 700 big. So there's got to be some clusters somewhere. Yeah.
3: Well, and I mean, I think there's lots of clusters. So let me just, you know, make sure that folks understand. I mean, we are uh, we are now five locations. We are in the real estate business. We operate about 165,000 square feet and serve, actually it's closer to eight or 900 organizations now. And oh, wonderful. our focus um, is really uh, very, very broad. I mean, one of the things about innovation is you don't know where the change is going to happen. Uh, and But our work is increasingly focused on how we cluster by case. API or by key performance indicator. Mm-hmm. And so increasingly, uh, and I was going to sort of say, this is really, a kind of, I think, a core trend is we're moving from like 10,000 flowers blooming approach to one where we're really starting to see that the evolution of the social entrepreneur is becoming more able to be focused on solving key world problems. Mm. So we're seeing clusters around disabilities, We're seeing clusters around climate. We're seeing clusters around public health and community health. Uh, And we're starting to see uh, clusters forming around poverty alleviation. Mm. And so, I'll just tell you the story of um, Luke Anderson. He's, okay. uh, and it kind of will uh, illuminate some of the things that we do at the Center for Social Innovation. So, yes, we start with being in the property management. But what we do is we work with uh, identifying, you know, organizations and people who have real potential. And then we work to nurture and support that work. So, Luke Anderson is the founder of the Stop Gap Foundation. Now, you might know, or your listeners might know, that the Stopgap Foundation. Uh, that in the last couple of years, since sort of 2012, we've seen the creation of these ramps at the front of many of our retail stores. Certainly in Toronto, you can't avoid them, but mm-hmm. in many cities across the country, Luke uses a wheelchair, and. He had an accident in his youth. He found himself in a situation where he had to use this chair and he has been focused on accessibility issues ever since. And he had a simple solution. He's absolutely focused on policy change in the government level, but he wanted to solve a real problem for himself and for other people who used wheelchairs. And what he did is he created a very, very simple ramp that now retailers have and you can get and people in wheelchairs and in... uh, 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 you know, uh, what, with babies. Sorry. What are those called? Baby boomers. Baby, no, 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 no. The kids in the t- strollers, strollers, oh, stroller. the rest, strollers. <laughs> um, you know, you can get into and out of these places. So Luke comes to us. He's been identified as one of our agents of change uh, uh, recipients. We bring him into the community and now we're working with Luke to actually understand that he might be able to charge the retailer for that ramp. So instead of just making it, having volunteers make these ramps and giving these ramps away, what if he were to create a social enterprise, Mm -hmm. charge the retailer for that product and ultimately create a virtuous cycle where he's able to continue to develop the solutions in the short term and the long term around disabilities. Yeah, why not? Exactly. And another example, which I think is really beautiful, another kind of high profile example is an amazing organization called Building Up. Building Up is another one of our Agents of Change winners, and what they've done is they've been looking at how to get contracts with Toronto Community Housing and other larger institutional partners who are doing housing, and they are training uh, people who are at-risk youth, teaching them how to do plumbing with the project of replacing old toilets with low-flow toilets in order to address water And climate Mm, through mm. that solution. So what you've got here is you've got win, win, win. Mm. You're creating meaningful jobs with people who are in low-income communities. You're equipping them with skills that they can then take into other sectors. And you're solving an environmental problem directly and accessing markets that were already being served, but it's a replacement of that existing business. So this is what social enterprise looks like. This is what it can look like and how it can work. So these are the kinds of ideas and projects that we're seeing coming out. Another example that I just love out of our New York office is an incredible new company called Lollyware. And Lollyware is looking at the waste issue. And what they've done, and they were uh, recognized on Dragon's Den or Shark's Tank in the US, I guess, mm-hmm. and they have just created the first edible um, edible uh, disposable dishware. Well, so I guess it's not disposable. It's edible. <laughs> well, sooner or
2: later, it's going to be disposable. It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be disposable.
3: <laughs> so it's, it's basically for events and so on and so forth where you can actually um, eat the cup that you drink out of at a party.
2: Yeah, Willy Wonka style, I love it.
3: Willy Wonka style. So, these are the kinds of innovative solutions. Another, just one more because I do get excited is Jordan <laughs> Uh
2: This is the easiest interview I've ever done, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I've already left, I've gone, I've got a wine, I've had, I'm getting my dinner ready. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, You're wonderful. D- d-
3: the, uh, the 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 incredible. It's uh, I'm not. They are. They are just right. amazing. Right. Jordan Alexan is working with um, uh, people who have been in prison, and as a uh, an effort to stop prison recidivism, I'm pretty pleased that I could say that word.
4: Yeah, what's what
3: that? she's uh, yeah, it's about people going back into the prison system. So this okay. is a U.S. member mm-hmm. of CSI, and what she has done is she has created a food truck.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And the food truck serves, actually, ironically, maple-based products because of her trip to Canada through CSI. Nice. nice. And what they're doing is they're training uh, people who who were at risk of going back into prison, giving them the skills and talents to be able to serve street food in New York City. Wild. Now, this project has been recognized not only by the Street Food Association, but has then been recognized. She was one of the top 30 under 30 in America.
4: Mm, Incredible. So
3: social entrepreneurs are being recognized because they're not solving one problem anymore. They're solving multiple problems and they're matching needs and opportunities in new ways. And guess what? That's way harder than regular business. It's super challenging work. Mm -hmm. And that's why we think it's so, so important that we are able to build out the supports and recognize the importance of this work so that we can help these incredible entrepreneurs to get their ideas and projects to the next level.
2: Okay, so let's talk about that because that's the missing piece for me. I've got this wonderful vision by you and your team and your organization, and I've got the results that are happening, which is fantastic. So bridge that for me. When you say support, what do you mean by that with your center?
3: Yeah, so we, we do a number of different things. I mean, look, physical space, just having a place where you can come and get access to resources that are shared is a huge step. So we at CSI, we share photocopiers, fax machines, meeting rooms, kitchens and and infrastructure. But that's a small little piece. The real magic that we are focused on is how do you build social capital? Mm. So how, you know, look, entrepreneurs Love one another. We love working with one another. We want to be exposed to one another. We love their energy. We love the peer support. We need our mentors. We need our community. And so, what we do is we build communities. We build communities of people who care and we're building ecosystems and platforms that allow people who are suppliers to those entrepreneurs to also be a part of that community. So looking at how you kind of create an environment or an ecosystem of support. So we're looking at whether those are designers or web developers or fundraising experts or whether they're lawyers who are experts in social enterprise law or, or and the list goes on. We then work with partners to look at how we provide access to capital. Mm -hmm. So we start with social capital, and then we build these communities of of talent, Mm -hmm. capital, really. So those sort of people capital to be able to supply the social entrepreneurs. And then we're looking at financial capital to go into the system where it makes strategic sense ultimately, we're also looking at um, uh, really that acceleration process. And, and that's something that we've probably done a little bit less of maybe some of the more traditional incubators, because uh-huh. what we found is that in the social networks that we create, it takes only an email, a simple, simple email to be able to find the needle in the haystack to be able to take your project to the next level. So what we're focused on is how do we, how do we build a space which is designed for triage Mm-hmm. So that somebody, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs aren't patient. They don't want to wait for the education class on cash flow. They put out the announcement hey, can somebody help me with this? And then literally within 10 to 15 minutes, inevitably, there's an answer from the community. And that is the speed of entrepreneurship.
2: Very cool. Have you ever found yourself uh, to fund your own needs? Uh, uh, is there a model within, within uh, your center that it says, okay, we take equity position or royalties or anything like that uh, based on what you created because of how we did support you?
3: Yeah, I I know not yet, but I wish my board would let me get there. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, social uh, CSI itself is a nonprofit social enterprise. Um, we are about seven million dollars a year. We have about fifty staff, and um, it, but our focus has never been on business development.
4: Right. Uh,
3: our our focus, our mission, is on social innovation. And so our community, you know, is a combination of for profits and non profits. Some of them are using market solutions. Some of them are, are you are just regular non profit charities that are doing work safe fundraising in the developing for developing world projects. Like our community is much much broader than just the startup world. Mm. Um, and we have taken an interest in the past, and we've done it through sort of incubation supports. And so, you know, I think uh, what we've learned. is... Is that some of the biggest barriers in our work is around the culture shift that's needed within the not-for-profit and social mission sector to understand that money is okay, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that sales is okay, mm-hmm. that marketing is okay, and that tooting your own horn because you actually create value in the world is okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Getting boards to be willing to take risk is really hard. Mm. Being able to put an entrepreneur into a slow-moving nonprofit organization is deadly boring Mm. and frustrating. And so one of the things that we're shifting or trying to do is to shift the conversation in the areas of greatest need. So, we haven't had any trouble supporting those folks on the for-profit side that are developing the app to, you know, a deal with a diabetes management or the tech data company that's, you know, selling fantastic data management systems into municipalities to manage water.
4: Right.
3: Those entrepreneurs are, are emerging quite naturally. But the tough issues – poverty alleviation energy efficiency uh, looking at precarious work uh, or 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 chronic disease these are the areas where we really need a lot of help bridging the power of entrepreneurship into some of the toughest issues that our country faces. And and that's really, um, you know, that's I think one of the magics of CSI is we don't really shy away from the tough stuff. And sometimes it's a slog, but that's really where our heart lies. I suspect that with the investment that we've made to date, that, you know, wonderful things will emerge from the incredible work that's already been done In this field. And now it's our job and and the job of those who are willing to walk with us to figure out how to take on the tougher issues. Because, you know, we know that Canada is the greatest country in the world. Uh, And we are so poised to do even more and and better. And, um, And that means being courageous to take on the tough stuff.
2: Very cool. Well, look, uh, I don't know if you have this. I want to give you uh, uh, um, make you aware of an organization that I think could significantly help your uh, your cause and the organizations you connect with. It's a Canadian organization. uh, One of my guests named Michael Tippett. Have you ever heard of Mr.
3: Tippett? Mm, Sounds familiar, but tell me.
2: Well, you want to find his company? I want to. W A N T O O and it's all about uh, validating ideas and he does it in such a cool way that uh, it's going to revolutionize the the way that ideas are formulated and validated Nice. Yeah, one, two. Check it (laughs) out. It's very cool. So, 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 um, I'm gonna, I want to touch a bit on, I want to touch a bit on the evil side of you there because I, you know, I, I sense you're a fighter. I sense you're, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, if you want to make something happen, you're gonna dig deep and make it happen. And so I want to call out what's the province in this country or region in this country that, isn't doing a good job with social innovation right now.
3: Oh, that's not fair. Yes, Dad. it is. Yes, it's
2: totally fair. This is my show, not yours. Even though you you've answered all the questions, even though I've only asked you one. You
3: know, I, I, I mean, I can honestly say, uh, I'm, I'm. Probably, I've done a lot of work on policy in my uh, 11 years at CSI. I'm one of the co-founders of the Ontario Nonprofit Network, uh, and I've been one of the founders of the Social Enterprise Council of Canada. And and and, um, but I'm I'm getting tired of policy on this issue, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah. I'm, um, you know, I've really had to make some decisions strategically uh, as an organization. You know, what is the role of government in this? Uh, That's the question I've asked. And, you know, I would love to be able to open up government programs that are designed for for profits to be open to nonprofits across the whole country. It Mm -hmm. is absolutely insane and insulting that the federal programs that exist out there actively exclude nonprofits like the shred credits, like the IRAP programs, because they don't think that nonprofits can be innovators Mm -hmm. and they don't think that we do our own R&D. And so from my perspective, the first step, and this is across the country in every province and at the federal government and at the city level is to recognize that nonprofit social enterprise is just or potentially more innovative than traditional business and should have access to the same government programs and should be evaluated on the merits inherent in what we're proposing. So making sure that we have a level playing field, which gives everybody, whether regardless of the of the legal governance form that they have, um, that we all have an equal playing field. And I'll also say, oh, now you got me going. (laughs) Uh, You know, the obsession with hybrid legislation is a distraction. So, there's a lot of different governments and across the province that are, you know, trying to evolve this new legal form. And, and although I can see it being just lovely, uh, the market has really um, formed already. And too often, legislation is designed really as a marketing arm for the for-profit sector. And while I think that that can be valuable, I would argue that B Corp has already filled the space and that the for-profit sector could care less. Mm. So. I I would suggest that we actually stop focusing on funds and legal and that we all start focusing on building the entrepreneurs, the social entrepreneurs of the future, because we have a real problem with deal flow. We have lots of money that would like to go into social finance, that would like to be invested, and we have inadequate business models that are actually working to solve problems. And we need entrepreneurs. I mean, this is why I'm on this show. I want to call all the incredible entrepreneurs who know darn well in their heart that they can apply what they're doing to actually start making real impact on the world. That's the kind of shift that we need to see. And guess what? It's not going to be driven by government. It's going to be us. It's the entrepreneurs of this country that are here, that are alive and well. Do not listen to what other people say. <laughs> we know darn well. And we're just trying to figure out how to line up those resources so that we can make our impact and to be able to start solving real problems on the ground. So our, we have a tagline at CSI. It's called, it's up to us. Love and it. you know what, from my perspective, you know, government, they, they don't lead the charge they follow. Mm-hmm. So let us lead.
2: You did a great job answering that question and avoiding uh, the the evil side. Yeah. Well, it's because I'm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kindred spirit for your cause and that. And I I was fortunate enough to be a founding board member of Startup Canada. And one of the things I was adamant about from the very beginning is it had to be led by entrepreneurs. Government was welcome to be part of the game, part of the story, part of the journey. But they're not. It's not their game. It's not their journey. And uh, that's exactly. Exactly what you're saying. So, That's bravo!
3: Thank you. And they need to unleash, yes. enable, and unleash, and get out of the way.
4: Yes. Yeah.
2: and
3: yeah. Uh, and then be smart. Yep. yep. Be smart and invest in those areas. Now, I will say, social enterprise is not all uh, going to break even. Lots of it does need to be subsidized. It was, it was, we're taking on and assuming costs and responsibilities that had been 100% funded by government Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't, uh, social entrepreneurs should not be expected to always be revenue generating. And we are going to have to pursue partnership models and collaborations with government and with other sectors. And that's great, but let's just really, really remember that we're here to serve real people on the ground. And so let the entrepreneurs be agile and do their work.
2: Very cool. Well, look, uh, Tanya, you, um, uh, uh, your family is entrepreneurial driven, and um, your uh, your husband also owns a nonprofit, Mozilla Firefox, and and you were talking about the magic your son is doing before we get on the call today, and uh, which is just wonderful. And you know, uh, uh, th- this conversation hasn't come up a lot uh, lately, but I think it's important. I mean, how do you how do you strike that balance? Balance or, whereas Richard Branson says, he says, it's not work, it's not play, it's just lifestyle. Yeah. What's your thoughts yeah. on that?
3: Yeah, I don't believe in work-life balance. I think it's a load of crap. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I believe in parenting through the power of benign neglect.
2: <laughs> and- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's where I went wrong. <laughs> I uh,
3: they they call me um I'm a, um I have two wonderful sons and and my husband works for Mozilla he doesn't own it so he can't own a nonprofit right. um Firefox is owned by Mozilla the nonprofit which is which is interesting look um we're a two CEO household and we're we seem to be brewing two more uh, entrepreneurs in in nice. the mix and um you know what I believe in work life integration. And yes. so I would agree with Richard Branson. It's a lifestyle I don't want ever. Nobody, Nobody wants a job. Nobody wants a job. Nobody wants They want the things that a job affords.
4: Uh-huh. And uh-huh. we can
3: achieve those things that a job affords in a lot of different ways. Mm. And so how do we match our passion our expertise, our skills, our experience, uh, and put those things to work. And then, you know, I've never been to work a day of my life. (laughs) So I, like, I don't get it. And, um, and I would say that that's a, it's a shame that people feel that they're, that the cultures and the environments that they are a part of, uh, you know, that we get stuck in this very antiquated old way of thinking, you know, who came up with nine to five, Mm -hmm. Right. What is that? And I'm not saying exploit yourself. I'm saying follow your body and your heart and your mind and timing and opportunity and, and the constraints that you work within. These are all things that determine how you spend your life.
4: Right. And so,
3: you know, let's be smart about this and remember that it's a short one and that there's an incredible opportunity to live complete Whole authentic lives that, that involve creating value and, and strong relationships and, and the power of family are all a part of those things. So one is not more important than the other, but if we keep thinking of it from a polarity perspective, we're missing the point.
2: Yeah, I love that. Well, I, I um, one of my favorite motivational speakers is uh, Les Brown, and he was talking today, talking to me today, <laughs> on my on my uh, in my car. But they talked talked about the reason most people don't get started is because of pain of going outside. They don't want pain. They don't want pain. And yet, what happens? Of course, they get to the end of their life, and the pain they have is the pain of regret for not doing the things that they should have done. So you can't you can't avoid it. Get out there and and, and embrace it. Tanya, we've uh, we've. Had a great conversation, and uh, I, uh, I I want to leave the last words to you, uh, specifically as it relates to uh, the social entrepreneurs on on this show today. We've uh, we've promoted you. We've uh, we got a lot of people that are listening today. and And what are your last words of, of advice, comments, issues, whatever that you can impart upon them? Uh, they're already saying "Wow," so uh, let's do it. "Wow" times ten with your last words. Oh,
3: geez. No pressure. Eh? Not right at right? all. No pressure. Look, I mean, what I'll say is this. Uh, this work isn't easy. It's really, really hard work. Uh, whether it's the challenges of coming up with the business model, whether it's figuring out what really drives you at a personal level, figuring out the the, the way that, you know, get the technology, the talent, the resources to be able to, to make these things happen. It's really, really hard work. And when I'm feeling most defeated and most frustrated and most kind of put down in, in the work that I do, I breathe...
4: Hmm.
3: I breathe and I remember that I get to have this incredibly privileged life, the life of an entrepreneur, the ability to be a sculptor, an artist, a creator of the world that we want. And although it can be brutally hard, reaching out and hmm. finding your peers, your community, the people who will be there will walk with you, your mentors, your advisors, the people who want to see you succeed, those relationships are gold. Mm. So for me, invest in those relationships, invest in your vision, be smart, quit when you need to and start again. But don't forget that ultimately that's what goes into a life. What goes into life is being a co-creator of a better world with the people that you love. So make social change and have fun doing it. Thank you. My pleasure. This has been Tanya Sherman, co-founder
2: and CEO of the Center for Social Innovation on her deep commitment to changing the world. And it started with her quote. And I'm going to tell you, you want to hang out with this lady, watch her do even more magic. It's been an incredible privilege and a pleasure to
3: have you, Tanya, again. Such a pleasure, Rivers. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us
2: today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian. Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular online training events, startup chats, and startup school. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash events for more details. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at riverscorbett. Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. And also, I'm pleased to introduce my newest business venture, Coaching by Rockstars, that's www.coachingbyrockstars.com, where I am building an amazing team of business coaches to help entrepreneurs around the planet. If you've got an interest in that, come and check us out. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Can you give us a sense as to throughout the years, you know, how have you seen that that uh, community, that startup community, entrepreneurship community evolve? In, in Montreal,
0: I mean, it's uh, it's astounding how quickly it's grown. When we started this five years ago, I guess at this point, uh, the word startup was really not part of the vernacular. First of all, here in Quebec, we have this particular. You know, thing called language and you know the word startup right out of the gate is anglo so there was no you know how we had dare a, you <laughs> we had organizations here trying to figure out what we call these things for the first two years of the real startup sort of hype cycle if you want we didn't even call them startups here because well you know that that was an anglo word right. uh no but you know all kidding aside you know it really was a very small uh community it was tight-knit uh but it was small and there was very little government support because they really didn't get this notion of startups and stuff like that. Now, what's happened through this process, and, and I would imagine that we've had some role to play in it, you know, as, as creating this sort of marquee event around startups, is um, you know, there's been a, an awakening certainly at the policy level, and that, right. that's fantastic. Right. Right. But you know, look, you know, startups in the world. Uh, have become extremely fashionable and the mm. growth of the number of startups in every community has grown. But Montreal's has really taken a very fast clip. You know, we went from not being included on reports when you, we talked to, you know, the global community of startups and Montreal wasn't even on the list uh, to like three years later, you know, at least being on that list and, you know, growing very rapidly. Mm. Um, so I'm impressed at the numbers, you know. We've got a lot more money now in the system. I remember three, four years ago, that was the big complaint. There's not enough local money to get these things started. Uh, the governments got in behind it, uh, private money got in behind it, you know, organizations like Inovia, you know, raised serious funds to, to invest here. And so it really gave all the fuel necessary. Uh, and then you know the other particularity here is that we have this very sort of multicultural you know environment, and therefore everybody comes in with new ideas and different ideas and an you know, ability to build applications for specific markets, but also you know a view on the global scene. So I'm really bullish on the on the Montreal scene. I think. You know, we always talk about the the heightened value of real estate in places like Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, you know, I'm I'm doubling down on real estate here in Montreal because I, I think uh, Montreal is going to have a serious rise over the next five to ten years.